Father, we thank you for tonight as we come before your word. We pray that today your word will minister to your people. We ask that the, 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 the spirit of the instructor will be in the house this evening. Orchestrate, lead, guide, see fit, inspire, direct, transform. Give us knowledge in Christ that we may grow thereby. In Jesus' name, amen. So, uh, welcome to part two of <clears throat> our study on the book of Romans. Last week, just like um, Pastor Robert summed up perfectly, we looked at Paul's desire for visiting Rome and how he banked his hope on the power of the gospel. And, and last week, we, re- we realized that the gospel has a lot of power to transform lives, to change people. And for that reason, Paul was prepared to come to Rome to preach to a depraved and a sinful society, even though they were the epicenter of military strength, intellectual capacity, tourism, and, and what have you. It was a very well-developed country and, and a very strong empire those days. Yet they were very depraved and very sinful. For this reason, Paul saw the need to come to Rome, which is very amazing. Because those days, nobody visited Rome to go and preach the gospel. Visited Rome, like I said, for other various reasons. We realize that the preaching of the gospel saves us from the wrath of God to come, which is on the judgment day. So today in chapter 2, and some a few verses of chapter 3, I think the first few verses of chapter 3, Paul is going to talk on God's judgment. So we are just going to read through the chapters. He also addressed in chapter 2 that the Jews are not better than the Gentiles. In that climate, the Jews, saw, the Jews saw themselves better than the Gentiles for a number of reasons. You know, there was this great divide there. It mirrors the um, aristocracy that we see in certain countries. Where, you know, people are like, okay, this one is upper class, that one is middle class, that one is lower class. You know, a source of brings a divide. That was very prevalent in in the time of Rome. Amen. So we are going to look at that. In Rome, that happened. And then even among the Jews themselves, the Jews saw themselves better than anybody else. And there are a number of reasons for that. And we go into chapter 2, we shall see that. But for us to understand chapter 2, verse 1, let's go back to the last verse of chapter 1. So that when I read verse 1 of chapter 2, you'll be able to gain context and you will get the concept of chapter 2. So I'm reading the last verse of chapter 1 again, which is verse 32. Who knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. So when you read Romans chapter 1, verses 18 to 32, uh, Paul listed a lot of things that man was debased. Man, 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 man had a very debased mind. Uh, man had given himself over to God, had given them over to passions, you know, to, to do that which was abominable. And verse 32 ends that God is going to judge. For this reason, that's why we have to preach the gospel. So now when you read chapter 2, 
verse 1. Let's, let's look at the first 11 verses. Therefore, you are inexcusable, O man. Who are, whoever are you to judge? For in whatever you judge, another you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. But we know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. And do you think this? O oh man, you who judge practicing such things and doing the same, that will you escape the uh, will you escape the judgment of God? Or do you despise the riches of his goodness? Forbearance and long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? But in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to each one according to his deeds eternal life to those who by patient continuance in doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality. But to those who are self-seeking, and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish on every soul of man who does evil of the Jews first, and also of the grief. But glory, honor, and peace to everyone who works what is good, to the Jews first, and also to the Greek, for there is no partiality with God. <coughs> Excuse me. So right here, Paul is referring to the hypocrisy of the Jews. You see, when Paul was talking about this, you know, Paul was just writing a letter. He wasn't actually with the audience. He was writing. He had a feeling that these Jewish people, they are going to point their self-righteous noses at these people and say, these people are depraved, these people are evil, these people are all that. But Paul was saying that, you are involved in these things. I'm not just talking about the Gentiles. I'm also talking about you. You do the same thing, and yet you judge the Gentiles of this same infraction. That's what Paul is trying to say. So from this scripture, we also have to know God as a righteous judge, not just one with love. God is going to judge the world according to man's, right, man's acts indeed that's very important to know verse 4 is important to know because paul states that it is the riches of god's goodness his forbearance that are present in this age for the sole purpose of leading man to repentance which is termed as the goodness of god so what is the goodness of god the goodness of god has to do with the riches of god's goodness and his forbearance and the goodness of God, if you look at it in verse 1 to 2, the context is preaching the gospel. That is the goodness of God. When you preach the gospel and when man is saved from the condition of spiritual death and comes to the place of eternal life, that is God's goodness. So right here on this earth, today as I speak, we are in the dispensation of the goodness of God. We have to understand that. God is not judging this world presently. He's not. So 
right now today 2021 in the year of our lord understand that we are under the dispensation of the goodness of god where we are experiencing the riches of god's goodness his forbearance which is termed as the goodness of god why so that people will repent I think about two weeks ago, Minister Lily, when she was preaching, she quoted a scripture, 2 Peter 3, 7, that God is not slow, as some will count slowness, but he is patient, he is long-suffering. Why? So that none will perish. So presently, that's what we are experiencing. So sometimes when we see certain calamities before mankind and even what some even call the acts of God, we, we, we tend to ignorantly or sometimes even assume that God is judging the world. God is not judging the world. God will judge the world, but that dispensation has not yet come. Now we are experiencing the dispensation of the goodness of God. So sin, calamities, what insurance companies may call the acts of God, even corona, all these things are not the acts of God. It's not God judging the world. Otherwise, this scripture is not true. We are currently in the season of the dispensation of the goodness of God, where we will experience the riches of God's goodness and his forbearance so that none will perish. So when something happens, sometimes, you know, people become zealous and God is trying to judge and, you know, God is judging us. We are sinners. No. God, God has already made provision. And when we read Romans, when we read further, we will understand that. A time will come, a dispensation will come where God is going to judge the world. But for now... We are experiencing the riches of God's grace. Why? Because God wants all to come to repentance. And the world is the way it is because it's in a fallen state. It's sin. So with, 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 with sin come its associated acts, earthquakes, hurricanes, and what have you. But God is not going to bring judgment whilst he has already allowed his son to pay that price on our behalf. Amen. Now, there is also something that we have to understand. When we continue to harden our hearts to his goodness, Apostle Paul says that we store up for ourselves wrath in the day of wrath and revelation in the righteous judgment of God. So, God's goodness is for a season. When that season is over, God's goodness, when, when was God's goodness, that season end? That season will end at the end of this age. Then we will see the righteous side of God as a judge. I think it's very important for us to know this balanced view of God. Very important. Because too many times our depiction of God has been based on 240 extremes. Sometimes we see God as he is a God full of wrath, anger, and judgment on one side. That's what some people know God for that. For your information, God is not an angry God. 
God is not a wrathful God. Okay? Then, number two, you have some people to, the, at the other extreme, they see God as full of love, grace, and kindness. That's all they know God for. But that's a wrong view. You need to read your Bible. When you read your Bible carefully, you will see a balanced view of God. God is a just God. And because he is a just God, he visits his wrath on sin. It doesn't mean he's a wrathful God. It doesn't mean he's an angry God. He visits his wrath on sin. That's the penalty on sin, on ungodliness, on uncleanness. God is a God of justice. And that is why he will judge. At the same time, God is also a God full of grace, full of love, rich in goodness. It's very important for us to see that balanced view. But sometimes we have this very lopsided view of God, which doesn't help. That's why it's very important for us to read our Bible. Because when we read our Bible, we will actually know who God truly is. Thank God that Apostle Paul, who is the Apostle of Grace, presented God in a balanced light. God is good, yet he's also a God of judgment. You see... When you accept the riches of God's goodness and God's grace, you, 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 you come to him, you will experience his benevolence. But when you harden your heart, mind you, a time is coming, you will face the wrath of God. And when you face the wrath of God, it, we will face it in the day of wrath and revelation in the righteous judgment of God. So, God is just, God is also love. Amen. If you are listening to me, remember verse 6. God will render to each one according to his deeds. Never forget that. Have eternity in view. Everything that we are doing, God is going to render to us according to our deeds. Now, when you read verse 7 to 11, which we just read, it talks about God not being partisan. He doesn't play partisan politics. That's why it says that he has no respect of persons. The, the contemporary versions uses the word God has no partiality. He doesn't play favoritism. God will reward eternal life to those who do good. When you look at verses 7 to 11, he will visit those who did evil with tribulation and anguish. And then he even mentions an added reward for those who did good. They will also experience glory, honor, and peace. And this is to both Jews and Gentiles. God is not favoritist. And it was very important for Paul to include this in this letter because Jews have this sort of um, status about themselves thinking that they were above the judgment of God because they are the seed of Abraham. And it's very important that God doesn't look at whether you are the seed of Abraham. He doesn't play partisan politics. If you don't do what is right, if you don't accept the payment that Christ has made available by his son, Jesus Christ, it doesn't matter whether you are a seed of Abraham, you will face your comeuppance. Amen. So it's very important for us to know God as a just God. 
Now, does God send people to hell? No. The person who sent us to hell was Adam. We will do that in Romans chapter 5. Because sometimes people are asking, why does God send people? God never sends anybody to hell. That is why I'm saying that he is a just judge. He doesn't send people to hell. We were on our way to hell when Jesus came. And that is the purpose of Easter. Jesus came to die so that the road that we were traveling on, we will make a course adjustment and travel on the road to rise. But if you harden your heart, God is just a just judge. He will just have to honor and reward you according to your choice, your act, and your deed. So God does not really send people to hell. But hell has been created because God's wrath and anger can't stand sin. That's it. So God doesn't send people to hell. We were on our way to hell. It was Adam that sent us to hell. For the wages of sin is death. We're already dead. God didn't send us there. But now, he has made provision that you have to accept. And that's why last week we talked about, you know, it's important. You are a born servant. You came into Christianity not because it was forced against your will. You made a choice and you decided that out of your will, you will serve God. Amen. Now, let's look at verses 12 to 16. Paul expatiates further on God's judgment. For as many as have sinned without law will also perish without law. And as many as have sinned in the law will be judged by the law. For not hearers of the law are just in the sight of God, but doers of the law will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do the things in the law, these, although not having the law, are a law to themselves who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience and also bearing witness, and between themselves, their thoughts accusing or else excusing them. In the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ, according to my gospel. Some points to note from these verses. One thing that you have to note about the New Testament particularly, sometimes when you read, it seems to be long words, you, you you have to really take your time and break it down for you to understand, especially when you read the New Testament. But some points to note from these verses. Jews and Gentiles will both be judged. Those who have received the law and those who haven't. Now, Paul was talking about this strictly in context. He was talking about those who have received the law. That's when Moses was at Mount Sinai and when he gave the law. He didn't give it to the whole world. He just gave it to a particular nation, a particular breed who are Jews. Paul is saying that if you receive the law, you will be judged. And if you also haven't received the law too, you will be judged. Why did Paul say that? The reason Paul said that was because he said that if you're a Gentile and if you don't have the law, you, 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 you still have a moral compass that you are accountable to. That is your conscience. There is a work within them which makes them morally conscious. 
Now, Paul is not really talking here about the gospel. Try and understand that. That's what I'm saying, that we have to read this in context. He's just talking strictly about law. So, if you want to live by the law, Paul is just making a case for that. Because Paul is a very brilliant writer. He, he will tie everything and, and you will understand what Paul really meant. But Paul was saying that Jews and Gentiles. Now, when you look at that phrase, Jews and Gentiles today, think about the whole world. Think about the whole world. Those who have a covenant and those who don't have a covenant, we will all be judged. But most importantly, Paul said, if you, are, if you have received the law, it's not just hearing the law that will make you justified. It is actually the doing of the law that will make you justified. So, please, as Christians, it's not just hearing the word of God. It doesn't matter how many preachings you've heard. It is actually in doing and obeying the message and walking in the light of God's word, practically applying your faith to every message you've heard. That is what is going to make you justified on the day of judgment. And Paul said something that shocked the Jews. You know, the Jews believed that God was going to judge. They never believed Jesus was also going to be a judge. But Paul said something. He said, God is going to judge the secrets of men through Jesus Christ. So Paul elevated Christ into the God status. Mind you, when, when Jesus left, not all the Jews believed that Jesus is in the same standing with God. Pockets of Jews believed that, but it was the Gentiles that mostly believed that gospel. Most Jews didn't believe it. And Paul was saying that, look, the guy that who was crucified some years ago, he is going to be in the ascent of a judge because he's in the Godhead status. And he's going to judge with God the Father the secrets of men. So, Someone will ask this question. What about people who don't receive the gospel and they go to hell? Well, the question is, God has given them a moral compass by which they can be accountable to. And because of the moral compass, they know that which is evil and that which is good. So there is no excuse. But our job as Christians is that we have to preach the gospel to everybody. Now, when you ask me that, are those people going to go to hell? What I will tell you is that that's God's, that's God's work. He judges. I, don't, I, I wouldn't want to get into those semantics. Because I am not going to judge. I am going to stand in front of the judgment seat and be judged myself. I, I, I don't know the answer to that. But Paul was making a statement that the Gentiles don't, don't even have the law. They will perish without the law. Why? Because they have it embedded in their conscience. And because they have it embedded in their conscience, Paul says something. He says that their thoughts accuse them or it excuse them. 
you have the word in your conscience. You are, if you are not accountable to the law, you are at least accountable to your moral compass, which is your conscience. So everybody here will experience judgment, whether you have received the law or not, whether you have received Christ or not. But if you ask me, how will God judge? I will never know that answer. But we can read it, stay here. Is it possible that some people will go to heaven based on moral compass because they were accountable to that? I don't know. That's something I don't know. That's, and that's why I say I will never go into those semantics. But Apostle Paul is saying that Jews and Gentiles, they will both be judged. And during this time, there were dead Jews and there were dead Gentiles. Apostle Paul is saying that the Gentiles that are dead who have not yet received the gospel, they will be judged. Because they have a moral compass that they have to be accountable to, which is their conscience. And their conscience excuses them or accuses them. Amen. Verses 17 to 29. Indeed, you are called a Jew and rest on the law and make your boast in God and know his will. And approve the things that are excellent, being instructed out of the law, and are confident that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, having the form of knowledge and truth in the law. You therefore who teach another, do you not teach yourself? You who preach that a man should steal, do you steal? You who say do not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who make your boast in the law, do you dishonor God through breaking the law? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you, as it is written. For the circumcision is indeed profitable if you keep the law. But if you are a breaker of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. Therefore, if an uncircumcised man keeps the righteous requirements of the law, will not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision? And will not the physically uncircumcised, if he fulfills the law, judge you even with your written code and circumcision? are a transgressor of the law for he is not a Jew who is one outwardly nor a circumcision that which is outward in the flesh but he is a Jew who is one inwardly and circumcision is that of the heart and the spirit not in the letter whose praise is not from men but from God so Paul is in the now this is the closing verses of chapter 2 Paul states the fact that the Jews who rest on the law and don't practice it, they are as guilty as the Gentiles without the law. And mind you, the Jews, they had the law. So they could teach the law. The Gentiles didn't have the law. The Gentiles could only know of the law if it was preached to them. They never knew the law. So the Gentiles knew the law. The Gentiles taught the law. 
but there was a problem they were not corresponding their actions with their beliefs and that's not faith and because of that apostle paul was saying that the name of god was has been blasphemed among the gentiles because of the lifestyle of the jews and that's why apostle paul listed many things you claim you are excellent you claim you have been instructed by the law you claim you are a guide to the blind you claim you are a light to those who are in darkness you claim you are an instructor of the foolish you claim you are a teacher of babes you claim you have the form of knowledge and the truth in the law but you teach another but you do not teach yourself that means you are just interested in making known the ways of the law but you yourself you don't adhere to the law you don't practice the law you teach people not to steal you teach people not to commit adultery but you do otherwise and the jews had this funny idea that god was going to prefer them because you know the jews had this thing that jacob i love esau i hate and jacob means israel they had this preferential treatment this preferential treatment that they expected god to exempt them and exonerate them from all their evil works just because they are a seed of abraham just because they have they have um, practiced circumcision just because the laws have been given to them and just because they are part of the commonwealth of israel they expected somehow that they were above the law they could just live anyhow and you who is a gentile who don't have the law you are the one in trouble and apostle paul is trying to make a case that no you can't do that because of you the name of god has been blasphemed among the gentiles paul in fact made nonsense of their circumcision status that if you are circumcised and if you don't keep the law you are uncircumcised and that is very offensive that is why the gospel is an offense to the jews because do you know the meaning of circumcision circumcision was a sign that god had made a covenant with abraham and indeed his seed which was the jews will be blessed it's, it's a sign it's a sign that abraham had a covenant with god it's a sign that israel will be blessed but paul is saying that with your circumcision status if you are still not living like one who is circumcised you are uncircumcised and those days to become uncircumcised means you are outside of the commonwealth of israel you were you were not given the law you are a sinner and paul was saying that even though you are circumcised even though you have the law even though you may have access to worship in the tabernacle or in the temple but if you don't keep the law you are just like a gentile and if a gentile keeps the law he is circumcised and he has a right to judge you by your fruits so apostle paul is trying to break that status mentality that preferential treatment mentality that if you really want to call yourself a christian be a christian for real and apostle paul is talking about all this in light of judgment one day god is going to judge 
So how you live your life, let your action correspond your beliefs. Because one day God is going to judge. Don't take the righteous judgment of God for granted. God is going to judge. Yes, you are the seed of Abraham. Yes, you have been circumcised. Yes, you are the people, the oracles or the commandments or the laws of God were given to you. But if you don't work in accordance with your belief, if your actions don't correspond to your beliefs, you will be judged. And the Bible lets us know that those who do evil, tribulation and anguish shall be upon them. It's not going to be only upon the Jews, but you who are circumcised, who are living like uncircumcised. Paul makes a case that one belongs to the commonwealth of Israel spiritually because they have circumcised. Not because they have circumcised, but because they have obeyed the laws of God. So I submit to you that they are two descendants of Israel. They are the descendants of Israel by genealogy and they are the descendants of Israel by faith. Galatians chapter 3 verse 29. I think let's read Galatians 3, 29 to help us. Let me just read it. Galatians chapter 3, verse 29. Okay, let me start from verse 26. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Now, if you really want to understand this context, Paul is talking to Jews and Gentiles. And he's talking to the Galatian church. That is in the Gentile region. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed. Now, this Galatian church, were they descendants of Abraham by genealogy? No, by faith. So there are two descendants of Abraham today. They are the descendants of Abraham by faith. And how do you become a descendant of Abraham by faith? Receiving Jesus Christ as your Lord and personal Savior. You are also a chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood. It's not just Israel in Exodus chapter 19 verses who stone as the royal priesthood and a, a holy nation. You are also that because you have received Christ as your Lord and personal Savior. And now you are Abraham's seed by faith. Not by genealogy, but by faith. So there are two descendants of Abraham. So the genealogical ones, those who can trace their ancestry, biologically speaking, and then there are those who are descendants of Abraham by faith because they have received Christ as their Lord and personal Savior. Romans chapter 1. And, and, and because of the gospel they receive, they have been declared righteous and the just shall live by faith. They are also Abraham's seed and they are heirs according to the promise. So that's something that we should note that the descendants of Abraham are in two classes. The descendants of Abraham by genealogy, the descendants of Abraham by faith. So, when we sum up chapter 2, we learn that God is a righteous judge who would judge this world at the end of this age by Jesus Christ. 
It is not enough to boast we are Christians. We should truly live it because that is how we will avoid the wrath of God. Ladies and gentlemen, the wrath of God is a very real thing. It's a very, I know it's not a very popular message now. It's a real thing. God is love. God is rich in goodness. He's rich in mercy. God also has wrath. And he has wrath because his wrath visits uncleanness. His wrath visits sin. Because God is so holy and so pure that sin and God cannot even make. He has wrath on that. And on the judgment day, he is going to visit those who did evil with tribulation and anguish. You have to know that. So have this balanced view of God. God is a just God, but he's also a God rich in mercy, rich in love, rich in goodness. Unfortunately, unbelievers are not coming to Christ today because our lifestyle has blasphemed the name of God. And as Christians, we should see ourselves as living epistles of God. You know, there is no excuse on the day of reckoning to say that because of this Christian brother or this Christian sister, I didn't give my life to Christ. But the reality is it's happening and it's a stumbling block. So Christians, we have to see ourselves as living epistles of God. These Jews didn't see themselves. They were just too preoccupied with status, preferential treatments, and they forgot to see themselves as living epistles of God. Because there are some people who might never ever get the opportunity to read a Bible, but your life, which is like a Bible. And we have to live our life in such a way that the, the fragrant knowledge of Christ from our lives will attract them to Christ. Amen. So chapter 2, God is a righteous judge. And thank God that that is necessary. We have to know God as a judge. Otherwise, don't know God as a judge. We will really be playing. And we will lose that sense of accountability. God is a judge. He is a righteous judge. And he visits wrath on iniquity, uncleanness, evil, and sin. He can't stand it. At the end of the day, the Bible lets us know that he will render each one according to his or her deeds. May we all remember that so that we can walk this Christian walk effectively. Amen. Now, let's look at chapter 3. The reason why I want us to look at chapter 3, I just want us to look at the first few verses of chapter 3 is because Paul was still on the issue of God's judgment. What advantage then has the Jew, or what is the profit of circumcision? Much in every way. Chiefly because to them were committed the oracles of God. For what if some did not believe? Would their unbelief make the faithfulness of God without effect? Certainly not. Indeed, let God be true but every man a liar. As it is written, you may be justified in your words and may overcome when you are judged. But if our unrighteousness demonstrates the righteousness of God, what shall we say? Is God unjust who inflicts wrath? I speak as a man. Certainly not. For then, how will God judge the world? So 
Paul was still on the issue of God's judgments, but he wanted to talk about the society's divide of the Jews and Gentiles which had pervaded the church. So this was a very prevalent issue, the, the divide between the Jews and Gentiles. That even sometimes, even the people could be saved and still had this divide. For example, when Jesus was living to heaven in Acts chapter 1, when he ascended, he told the disciples something. He said, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will have power to be my witnesses. And you will preach this gospel in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. Now, if you read your Bible carefully, these people just only liked Jerusalem. And they liked Judea. They didn't like Samaria. Because, mind you, Jews and Samaritans never really got along. And then the uttermost parts of the earth, that represents the Gentiles. You see, even though these people had received the baptism of the Holy Ghost, it still didn't cure them of that divide. It, it had pervaded. That thing that was in the society had come into the church. So when you read Acts chapter 11, when Peter went to go and preach to the, to the Gentiles, that was Cornelius. Cornelius represented the Gentiles. When, when Peter went to preach to the Gentiles and, they re- and, and the Gentiles received the gift of the Holy Spirit, in addition to receiving the, the person of Jesus Christ, chapter 11, go and read it, whether the church was happy. They were very angry at Peter. Like, why do you go and preach to these people? They forgot the master's commandments. The master says that, don't just preach in Jerusalem, don't just preach in Judea, don't just preach in Samaria. Samaria is even hard for them to preach. Samaritans. Samaritans and Jews don't get a lot. I mean, in one of my teachings of John, I did a very extensive history between Jews and Samaritans. I hope you all remember. So, you know, there was that long-running feud. And then, the Gentiles. But in chapter 11, the church was not happy that Peter had gone and preached the gospel to the Gentiles. See, so, so, so it, it was a very strong divide. So, Apostle Paul was saying that let me tell you something. You guys are not better than Gentiles. You have some superiority complex. You are not better than the Gentiles. The only advantage you have over them is that, one, you were circumcised, and number two, the law was given to you first. But your status it still doesn't change God's faithfulness. It doesn't change God's faithfulness. Because mind you, there were Jews who didn't believe in the gospel. And they thought that just because, you, you know, they saw Paul's message as another gospel. They believed that, oh, we will be justified by the works of the law. We are the seed of Abraham. That's enough. So hearing the gospel that Apostle Paul wanted to preach, which was in Romans chapter 1, was very offensive. How can you tell us that when we just believe we are righteous? But we thought we are Abraham's seed. We thought we have circumcised. That's enough. We have received the law. We, we don't need to be justified. But Paul is saying that, look, even if some of you don't even accept the message and you still want to boast based on the superiority complex of your nationality, it still doesn't change God's faithfulness. I like something about God, that even though we are unfaithful, God is faithful. 
The, the, there, were, there were Jews, many of them, who didn't believe the gospel. And Paul is saying that their unfaithfulness doesn't affect God's faithfulness. And then Paul quoted Psalm 51 verse 4. Let every man be a liar and let God alone be true. Paul was making a case that no matter man's unfaithfulness and unrighteousness, God will still judge the world. So God is going to judge the world. Whether you believe it or not, if you think resting in in who you are, your status is just enough, God is going to judge the world. It doesn't change that fact. Your unrighteousness cannot undo God's righteousness. And then Paul goes on in verses 7 to 8 to talk about the slander that before him for preaching the gospel. You know, Paul had a very passionate tone in verses 7 to 8. He wanted people to believe the gospel because that is how they will be saved from sin and the condemnation to come. And when, and when you read verses 7 to 8, that, that's what Paul said. For if the truth of God had increased through my lie to his glory, because they believe that what he's preaching is a lie. Why am I also still judged a sinner? You see, Paul believed he is the righteousness of God. And Paul believed he is the righteousness of God, not because he is a Jew, who is also circumcised. Paul believed he is the righteousness of God because he has believed in the gospel and God has made him righteous. But the people are still judging him as a sinner because one, he is no longer a Sadducee. Number two, he now mixes with the Gentiles. And number three, he's been accused that, look, what you are preaching is even a lie. It's blasphemy. And why not say, let us do evil that good may come, as we are slanderously reported and as some affirm that we say their condemnation is just. So Paul suffered a lot just for preaching this gospel. Because Paul wanted them not to trust in their status. Paul wanted them not to have a superior complex over the Gentile nation. Don't see yourself better. You are not better than them. We are all going to stand at the judgment seat of God. That's what Paul wanted them to understand. You are all going to be judged one day. One is not better than the other. Maybe in fleshy terms, the only thing that we can say is that you guys were circumcised, you had the gospel first, and that's all. But you are not better than the Gentiles. And even if you don't believe because you want to rest on your, on your status and upon who you are. I say to you, God will still judge. It doesn't change the faithfulness of God. And your unrighteousness, that's not believing in the gospel, can also not affect the righteousness of God. Now, that was a major blow. Because in verse 9, Paul gave them more blows. He said, what then? Are we better than they? That's Paul. Paul is a Jew. So he's saying that, I, a Jew, am I better than a Gentile? Not at all. For we have previously charged both Jews and Greeks that they are all under sin. That's a blow. It's a big blow for you to tell a Jewish man he's a sin. A Gentile can easily believe he's a sin. He's a sinner. Gentiles can easily believe that. Not a Jew. A Jew believes that, no, I'm a seed of Abraham. A Jew believes that I'm circumcised. A Jew believes that I have the law. I practice the law. But nobody could be justified by fulfilling the law. 
Paul didn't want the Jews to brag on status. At the end of the day, both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. That's an ego deflation. Can you see why the Jews didn't like Paul? Can you see why Paul was chastised a lot? And when you preach such a message and you punch holes and deflate the egos of your audience, are they really going to like you? Apostle Paul then decided, if you don't believe me, I'm going to read the right act to you. And then you believe it. So from verses 10 to 18 of chapter 3, Paul reads them the riot act. You know, your riot act means that you have been charged. You are guilty of trespasses and you are going to be punished. So Paul is saying that in case you want to boast in your status, in case you want to believe that the law is enough for you to become righteous, let me read to you your riot act. And Paul picked all this from a combination of Psalms and Isaiah. And he read it to them. So this is not Paul's word. He is quoting from the book of Psalms and Isaiah. As it is written, there is none righteous. No, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good. No, not one. Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues, they have practiced deceit. The poison of asp is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace they have not known. The way of peace here is Christ. They have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. So Paul is saying that we are all sinners. Jews, Greeks, it doesn't matter. You don't go to heaven based on status. You can't avoid the wrath of God based on status. It's not good enough. That's what Paul wants to tell them. Now, Paul is going to tell them a solution on how to avoid God's wrath on the day of judgment. Before that, he sets it up beautifully by talking about the weakness of the law. Look at it. Now, we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. You see, that's why Paul came with the gospel. Paul was not coming to add more law to their law. He came with a gospel. And we read in chapter 1, he says, I am not ashamed of this gospel which is scandalous to the hearing of the Jews because this gospel has the power to those who believe. The Jews first and then to the Greek. And in this gospel is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith that just shall live by faith. Paul had this gospel and this was the gospel he was bringing. He says, the the law cannot justify anybody in his sight. For for by the law is the knowledge of sin. So Paul wanted them to rely on something greater than the law. If we want to avoid the wrath of God, that will come one day. And believe you me, it will come. It's not going to take a set of laws. It is going to take knowing a person. 
Hence why the book of Romans is written. So the law came to make us all guilty before God our judge. But he didn't leave us hanging. God is merciful. God is good. Now, when we read from verses 21 to 31, provision has been made available for us. And we are going to tackle next week from verse 21 to 31 of chapter 3. And then we'll close up chapter 3. Amen. I'm done for tonight. Questions, contribution? So I have, I have one question. Um, so I hear a lot of preachers, especially here in America, emphasize, the, emphasize Israel and how special Israel is. It's almost as if they, they are still making reference to Judaism and God's promise to Abraham and things like that. Uh, I don't know. When I look into the New Testament, I, I kind of, when God says that he has made the New Testament believer his own special people now, I just want to see, I just want to understand what role Israel still plays. I know that they have a role to play in, in the U.S. probably was the end of um, the end time but what do they still have do they still have a special place i mean i think i hear people overemphasize israel or the what israel is to god now mm. i don't know if my question is clear it's, it's very clear it is israel does have a special place but i think it's it's been overstated well we are one before god um the Bible lets us know that the judgment day is not going to come until Israel is saved. So that's one of the that's one of the roles that Israel is going to play. So we, we pray for the salvation of the Jewish people. Why? Because they are the first people that receive the oracles of of God. So that's the only reason why. And uh, Romans chapter eleven, we will deal with that. It will, it will answer all the questions on, on who is Israel, what role do they have to play. But in the New Testament, we are all one. I, I really don't believe in overemphasizing that truth. Of course, we have to pray for Israel, believe God that they receive the gospel. Because the Bible lets us know that before Christ comes, he will make sure that Israel is saved. So that's, that's the only role they play. Aside that we are all the same, we stand equal in the sight of God. Every privilege that Israel had in the Old Testament, the New Testament believer, we also have it. Amen. So, uh, I think the only role they will play is that the gospel will be preached to them and God will make sure that his, his firstborn children don't perish. Now, we are also part of his children, but he will make sure that they, because they received the gospel first, they, they will not perish. So that, that's the role Israel play. Any, anything else is exaggerated, overstated, and blown out of proportion. Amen. Is your question answered? Yeah, thank you. I had, I had a follow-up, but you have answered that. Okay.
a minute more to closing. Did you all understand today's study? All right. I see only one thumbs up. Did you all understand today's study? Okay. All right. Mr. and Mrs. Rivera, is it clear? Did you all understand? Yeah, I got it. Okay, got it. Great. Okay. So, who can just sum up? Just one person. What did you learn today? Just in one minute. Just in one minute. What did you learn? What What touched you out of the two chapters we read? What, what stood out for you? Just in one minute, then we pray and thank God and close. I think one thing that stood out to me is the fact that, I mean, those who um, don't have the law, which it, I think you, you explained further that it doesn't only mean those who accepted the law, which is the Old Testament, but even those who have not heard the gospel are going to be judged based on their moral conscience. But I think that's the question that comes up a lot. If somebody does not hear the gospel at all, and, and what's, what's going to happen? So I think you especially on that so. Amen. Let's thank God then. Father, we thank you for your grace. For the fact that we are even in the season of God's goodness, let's just thank him. God is long-suffering towards us. Second Peter chapter 3, that we should not perish. Let's just thank him. Let's thank him. We will take advantage of the goodness of the Lord so that in the coming age, we will not face his wrath. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness. We give you praise. And Father, because we have become recipients of your goodness, may we extend that goodness to other people by preaching the gospel to them. Thank you, Lord. We give you praise for tonight. Thank you for tonight's study. We pray that we will walk with the truth of this word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. God bless you guys. Thank you very much for attending. I am always honored when you people show up for Bible study. God richly bless you. God willing, we will meet on Sunday. Until then, enjoy the rest of your week. God bless you all. Good night. Good night. Good night. Good night. Good night.